talking about thriving with purpose, we understand that until we're walking in the, in the way of God, which, which is basically living out fundamental Christianity, gathering for worship, equipping for growth, making disciples, connecting in a group, serving the church and world, until we're just doing those fundamentals, living out the real purpose, the clear purpose of God uh, becomes nearly impossible. But, but walking with God, walking in his word and in his way according to his will, it enables us to discern God's purpose. And when, when we're walking with God, we've got to be wise. We've got to focus. We've got to focus with God's purpose. And that's what we want to look at today. Last week, we were talking about the fact that we, we've got to serve with purpose. And we, we came to the conclusion, according to God's word, that when, when we serve God's purpose, we gain what only God can give. And what God gives are the greatest blessings, the greatest blessings that, that anyone could know, one of which is to be a people who are thriving. Thriving is having the confidence to be intimate with God and the contentment to obey God's commands while trusting outcomes to God's capable care. That's, that's one of the great benefits of, of living out God's purpose. You become a person who's thriving. Today, what we want to understand, what our text helps us understand is how to focus with God's purpose in order to accomplish God's will for our lives. And God does have a wonderful will, but we've got to focus on it. And oh, it's so easy to get distracted, isn't it? It is so easy to get caught up with things that we can't control, things that are constantly beating down us. And friends, listen, I realize that COVID has caused a lot of things. But remember this and think about this. COVID has also revealed a lot of things. Yes, COVID has caused some things to happen. But one of the things that COVID has done for the church is it has revealed to us what matters most in our heart of hearts. It's revealed to us what we're willing to sacrifice for, what we're willing to lean into. It's revealed to us what what we're defined by. And friends, if we're, if we're going to be defined by what, what Christ has done and who Christ is, if we're going to experience the blessings that God wants to bring to our lives, we've got to stay focused. and We've got to keep that, that fire in our soul. We've got to keep it fed. I appreciate what General William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, said to some young pastors once. He said, I want young men always to bear in mind that it is the nature of a fire to go out. You must keep it stirred and fed and the ashes removed. When I, when I was a kid, I was responsible for our fireplace, which is kind of crazy if you think about the kind of kid I was. And, and what that basically meant was I was responsible for cleaning it out, which led to a fire in our house once, which is another sermon altogether. But I was responsible to make sure there was wood, that it was available. See, as, as believers, if we want to keep that fire in our soul for the things of God, we've got to get the ashes out, the things that will suck out the oxygen, the things that give life. We've got to remove those. And, and we've got to feed that fire, which is the word of God and the people of God. And we have to understand that the, the flesh, our flesh, is always trying to put the, fly, the fire out. Our flesh is not is not a servant of our king. If you're a Christian, Jesus is your king. He is the Lord of your life, but your flesh is not loyal to him. Your flesh is all the time trying to to, to get you, to get us to deny the authority of Jesus and to reject him as king of our life. 
And so we, we've got to be mindful of what the flesh is doing. We can't let it drive what happens in our hearts. And we've got to constantly feed the fire that, that is our faith. And the only way we can do that well is by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How do we do that? Look at verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Nehemiah served God's will the way Jesus does now. The will of God is is to save and set apart a people for himself. Jesus has come to save us. And if you are a Christian and you have been saved, you have been saved to be set apart, to belong to God so that you can accomplish his holy purpose, his will for your life. Now, if we're going to do that, we've got to stay focused. We've got to stay focused with God's purpose to join Jesus in accomplishing God's will for our lives. And our text today, our text today, which is, I'm going to show you one of the most important chapters in all of the Bible, certainly in the Old Testament. It helps us understand how. So if you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, you're going to need a a copy of the scriptures today. If you don't have one electronically, if you didn't bring a hard copy, if you got, if you can just download the ESV app or go onto our electronic bulletin and you can click on the text and it'll take it, take you right there. But you're going to want to, you're going to want to stay in this text with me today. Today we're in Nehemiah chapter 13. God willing, we're going to get through verses 1 through 14. But right now, Abigail is going to come read for us verses 6 through 9. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word. This is Abigail. She is a fourth generation hoper. Her great grandfather, Jimmy Phelps, was one of the founding members of Living Hope. And so we're excited to have her today, a fourth generation that that is standing on the stage of Living Hope, proclaiming his word. And so if you would, Abigail, read for us verses 6 through 9. While this was taking place, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I went to the king. And after some time, I asked leave of the king and came to Jerusalem. And I then discovered the evil that Elijah had done for Tobiah, preparing for him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And I was very angry, and I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber. Then I gave orders, and they cleansed the chambers. And I brought back there the vessels of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Amen. If you would be seated and pray now for the preaching of God's word. This moment that, that Abigail just read so well must have been a very frustrating time for Nehemiah. You think about what was going on here. Nehemiah had just spent 12 years of his life providing for the people of God so that they would be a set-apart community, living holy lives to declare the greatness of God. When he showed up, there was a temple, but there were no walls and there was no identity for the city. When he left, there there were these walls that had been dedicated, as we saw last week. There was a people there consecrated to God. They were serving him, but... Nehemiah had made a promise. If you'll remember in, in Nehemiah chapter two, he had said to Artaxerxes, when I'm done, I'll, I'll come back. 
And so he was called back. And we don't know how long he was gone. Some commentators say it was a year. Some say it was more. It was enough time for the people of God to turn away from the Lord. It was enough time for them to forget who they were. They forgot that they were God's people. They forgot that they were made holy by grace and set apart for God's purpose. And they forgot entirely why they were there. They they were doing almost everything and literally almost everything other than fulfilling the purpose for which they were called. They were called to be a holy community who loved one another and who served by making known that that the God of the world, the God of the universe was at work and had not forgotten his creation and that he was going to bring about all of his promises. These people had been saved and brought to that place to be his people, to announce his great grace and love to the world and fulfill his promises through them. But they'd forgotten. They'd forgotten who they were. They'd forgotten why they were there. And they had forgotten the mistakes of the generations before them. We Christians, we people of God, we have this bad habit. And this bad habit, there's so many ways you could study this, but the book of Judges is probably the best. It's probably the worst, best book of the Bible for us. Every year I study it and it's discouraging because it says so much about me and the rest of us. It reminds us of how we easily are blessed by God, so happy to be blessed by God, but then in our comfort of what God has given us, rather than delighting in God, we begin to delight in the blessings of God. Rather than seeking to worship God, we seek to bask in the blessings of God. And and at some point, God becomes secondary to the blessings of the things we want, and God becomes something we use to get what it is our flesh desires. And then God has to wake us up. And God has to bring trials and challenges and pain to get our attention so that we will repent and and return to God. This is what Nehemiah was there to do, to call them back. Now, this chapter, let me tell you why it's so important. This is the last recorded event in the Old Testament. What you're reading there in chapter 13, just take a quick glance. This is the last event that happens with God's people until the coming of Jesus Christ. After this event, there are 400 years of silence. So it's pretty important that we really pay close attention to what God was, was doing here. See, what Nehemiah was doing by, by under the, the, the grace of God, the calling of God, was to accomplish God's will by, by getting the people to focus with purpose. See, Nehemiah did for them what Jesus now does for us. This this text helps us understand Jesus is at work. What Jesus is doing in our lives is is calling us to to be his people. And in in that glorious, blessed place where Christ is our identity and and the purpose of our life is to show his love and light to the world, we experience a blessing that nothing on this planet earth. Nothing in creation could ever give. But, but to do that, we've got to, we've got to be focused. And our text today shows us how. Four things I would encourage you to write down and to remember. And the first is this. We focus with God's purpose by knowing and obeying the commands of Jesus. 
by knowing and obeying the commands of Jesus. Go to verse one with me. As you go there, let me explain what you're reading. This is not something that happened in connection with the last part of chapter 12. Verse one is is designated as verse one of chapter 13 to tie chapter 13 together. And when reading that, you might miss that. He's writing about this. The author is telling us what is happening now that Nehemiah has come back. So now Nehemiah has come back. And on that day, they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people. And it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God. Now, I know you're reading that and you're thinking, okay, Ammonite, uh, Moabite, probably can't pronounce them right. Probably don't care what happened to them. I get it. This is very important. That, that designation is about to come into play big time in this text. I'm going to show you why. So don't just gloss over that. Ammonite, Moabite. Look what the text says. No Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter, enter the assembly of God. Why? Verse two, they're now quoting the Old Testament, the portion of the book of Moses that they read. For they did not meet the people of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. Yet our God turned the curse into a blessing. As soon as the people heard the law, they separated from Israel all those of foreign descent. So they came to know the word of God and then obey the word of God. Friends, if you have repented and believed the gospel, you have been bought with a price and you are no longer your your, your own. You belong to God You belong under the banner of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, you are free. You are free from the punishment and power of sin so that you can now pursue and recover God's design. And we talk about this with three circles all the time, that you've got to repent and believe the gospel to be saved. And what you're saved from is your sin. What you're saved to is freedom. And that freedom is to know and to obey God's word, the way we pursue and recover God's design is by knowing and obeying the commands of Jesus. The people in Nehemiah's day, they stopped studying God's word and they stopped obeying it. Interestingly, many of them knew a lot of these stories. Interesting, many of you know many of the stories of God and his word, but here's the fact. Many Christians, your knowledge of the truth and obedience of the truth is different. Many of you know way more than what you obey. And that lack of obedience causes you to miss out on so much of what God wants to do in your life. Malachi, Malachi was the last recorded prophet of the Old Testament. Malachi probably wrote his prophecy while Nehemiah was away with Artaxerxes. So remember, Nehemiah came, served for 12 years. They got the wall built, dedicated, everything set up. The people of God are honoring God. He got called back to his day job with King Artaxerxes. We don't know how long, but while he was away, God raised up Malachi to prophesy to the people. Now, what did Malachi do? Malachi called the people to repentance with respect to the priesthood, which had become corrupt, worship, which had become routine, divorce, which was widespread, social justice, which was being ignored, and tithing, which was neglected. 
In essence, the people's hearts had become hard to the things of God. The fire had gone out. And this is what happens when we refuse to know and obey God's word. We become indifferent to God. We forget all that God has done. We become self-focused. We forget all that God has commanded and we don't do it and we get sinful. We get lazy. The summer before I was to report to MTSU to play football, which they were paying my scholarship to do, I was lazy. Bottom line, I was lazy. I had gone and reported to the strength coach the early May, and he gave me a wonderful book. And in that book were the daily workouts that I was to do. I was to journal it, and then I was weekly to turn those in to to get proof that I was doing the workouts. I was to work out with other people, and, and I was to see progress. But I was busy. I had a job. I was working construction. We had to go on family vacation. We got, had, had to. Now, I also was working with the church, and so I had to go to church camp, and I had to go on a mission trip. Now, notice that none of those things were bad things. Work, vacations, mission trips, trips away with the church. But they weren't the things that I needed to do to get ready for the fall. So I embarrassed myself. I showed up that fall looking a lot like I look right now. Not so good. Not so good. And I was put on the list, the list of the not prepared. I wasn't the only one. Everyone that was put on the not prepared list, we got two blessings. One, we got to stay after practice and run until someone lost what they'd eaten earlier. And we got to show up at 5 a.m. every day, except on the Lord's Day, for an extra workout because we were extra special. Now, the guys who showed up in shape, let me tell you what they did. They got their book and they journaled in it. But once a week, no matter, I know some of those guys, they came up from Florida once a week at their own expense to check in and be tested, to be recognized for what they had or had not done. They also had a group of people they were working out with faithfully. They weren't trying to do it on their own the way I was. They weren't, they weren't doing it when they felt like it. They were working out with people that held them accountable. And they were excited about the results they were getting. You know, one of the hardest things about working out is when you don't do it regularly, you don't get results. It's, it's amazing when you get results, how that kind of gives you a little fire to keep going. You know what happens to many of God's people? We know the book, we just don't obey it. We don't gather to be encouraged or be, to, uh, be an encouragement. Not every week, we're busy. We don't get in a group where we study and there's accountability. We're too busy. We got other things going on and we're not seeing the results. And so we're not inspired. We're, we're, lo- we're, we're just getting lazy. And God has called us to so much more to gather with the church every week, to work out with God's people in his word, to have accountability, to pray, and and to see results. God God has a purpose for us that we can only perceive if we know and obey God's word. And so the first thing, look what Nehemiah did. The first thing he did, look in verse one, he had them read the book of Moses. Now, interesting, here's what they were reading. This is Deuteronomy chapter 23. Again, this is what was quoted in verses one through three. No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the 10th generation. 
None of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever because they did not meet you with bread and with water on the way when you came out of Egypt because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor from Pethor of Mesopotamia. And so it talks about what was going on there, but I want you to see what it's saying there. Look very closely. No Ammonite or Moabite may enter. They had forgotten that and they weren't obeying that. See, if, if, if the day before Nehemiah left and, and everyone was walking with God and there was, there was a fire for the Lord, an Ammonite showed up and said, I want to be in the assembly. They would have smacked him with the love of Jesus in their hearts and said, boy, you better get out of here. But here's what happens when you, when you stay away from God's people, when you're not in accountability, when you're not feeding on the word and seeing results of, of a change in your life, you get comfortable with sin. You get comfortable turning away from God. You get comfortable with your spiritual life being lackadaisical and there being no fire. You don't come out of a revived sense. You don't come out of this passion and just the next day wake up that way. You ease into sin. You ease into a hard heart. You ease in turning cold toward God. And that's what happened to the people of Jerusalem. And that's what happens and is happening to some here today. Now, the scripture in Nehemiah woke them up. And my prayer is that God will wake us up. That we'll take to heart Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 14. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The will of the Lord is that we gather for worship, that we connect in groups for accountability, and that we happily obey God and see the results of the transformation of the work of Christ in our lives. This is the purpose of God. Please wake up and engage that. And two, we focus with God's purpose by two, providing and protecting the place of Jesus. When we gather for worship, when we get in accountability, this is a part of what will happen. If we're not, we won't. We won't provide and protect the place of Jesus. Look what happened in verse four. Now before this, Eliashib the priest who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God and who was related to Tobiah. This is a, he's related to him. So there's a fleshly alliance. The flesh is there. This person is, is responsible for the heart of the temple. What's happening there? And what has he done? Look at verse five. Prepared for Tobiah a large chamber where they had previously put the grain offering, the frankincense, the vessels and the tithes of grain, wine and oil, which were given by commandment to the Levites, singers and gatekeepers and the contributions of the priests. What did he do? He allowed this person of flesh into the largest chamber of the temple to push out the things of God, to remove the things of God from the temple. If you are a Christian, can I remind you of something real quick? You are the temple of God. And you are the priest responsible for the large chamber that is your heart and what is allowed in there. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Friends, we must protect the temple that is our body. 
We are responsible for what happens in that large chamber that is our heart. And we must, we must get rid of the Tobiah, the flesh that is there pushing out. Now, who is this Tobiah? This is important. Tobiah, well, go to chapter two, go to chapter two real quick. I, I, want you, I don't want you to take my word for it. Look at verse, let's go to chapter two, Nehemiah chapter two, verse 10. Now I'm going to read Deuteronomy 23 again. No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord. All right, let's go to Nehemiah chapter two, verse 10. Who is Tobiah? But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite, Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Tobiah is an Ammonite. What's he doing in the heart of the temple? This fleshly relation has been allowed to come in and to push out the things of God from the temple of God. This is an enemy of God. Look in verse 19. But when Senbalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king like the devil? Tobiah intimidated the people of God, accused the people of God, discouraged the people of God. And now he's in the heart of the temple. They've allowed the devil in the heart of the temple to drive out the holy things of God. Friends, what's happening in your heart today? Have you let Tobiah in your heart? Christian, you who are the temple of God, What have you done? What have you allowed to sicken your soul? What have you drawn, what have you grown comfortable with? What kind of foul language? What kind of dirty thoughts? What kind of of, of nonsensical websites and TikToks and, and, and Netflix and this other junk? The stuff that you hear If your mother had heard you say, would wash your mouth out with soap. Can I get an amen? But how do we get comfortable with this? We let Tobiah in. And Tobiah says, no, 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 no. We don't have space for the holy things of God. No, no, no. We don't have time for church. We don't have time for accountability groups, men with men, women with women. We don't have time to serve. We don't have time for all that stuff. No, no, no. It's the time for the flesh. It's time for self-centeredness. It's time for us to talk the way we want to talk and do the things we want to do. Tobiah pushed out the things of God. Sin was allowed to reign in the temple and the things of God were banished. Friends, we must be so careful about what we allow to live in our lives. Colossians 3. Friends, we must, I'm gonna read this long section. We must put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of the, these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but, but now... You must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, Barbian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, 
compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one of you has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you indeed were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Nehemiah was so smart. Look at verse one. Go back to Nehemiah 13, verse one. He's so smart. The first thing he did was he went to the word of God. He said, thus saith the Lord. He says, there is to be no Amorite in the temple of God. So then he points out the sin. He says, look, there's sin in here. You've let the Ammonite in. And so he exposes the sin. And then look what he does. And this is what we must, this is what we must allow Jesus to do. What Nehemiah did for God's people, we must, we must celebrate and, and invite Jesus to do in us. See, we, need, we, we focus with God's purpose by seeking and celebrating the cleansing of Jesus. So he went in, Nehemiah went in, and he cleansed the temple. Now he says, while this, all this Tobiah junk was taking place, I was out of town. And they weren't reading the word of God. But I love verse eight. And I showed up. You know what Jesus hates? He hates sin. He loves people. He hates sin. And I was very angry. (laughs) Can you picture this? I just love the picture. Nehemiah shows up. Is that an Ammonite? That better not be an Ammonite. Somebody get the Bible. Deuteronomy 23. Read it. Open the doors. I'm going in. And he, mad, starts throwing all that sinful junk out of the heart of the temple. Friends, this is what Jesus does. When we're walking faithfully with the Lord, Jesus comes in and he's, I'm not putting up with that language. I am not putting up with that attitude. I am not putting up with that sin. Out, out. What Nehemiah was doing that day is what Jesus wants to do every single day. He wants to throw out the ash. He wants to put in the wood and the community so that our hearts burn with passion for the glory of God. We got to celebrate it, friends. We got to join in what Jesus is doing. What's he doing? Killing sin, bringing in holiness. We got to join in this cleansing and celebrate it. Celebrate the change that's happening. You know what happened to me when I got to back when I got to middle that August with the 5 a.m. crew? I started getting strong. See, I was really comfortable with, with, with my strength when I got there. And I was bench pressing 245. It's not bad for a quarterback. I was squatting 350. Not bad for a quarterback. You know what happened after three months of hard work? I'm benching 315. I'm squatting almost 600. They're talking about moving me to linebacker because I got strong. You know what happens when we invite Christ into our life to remove the sin from our life? We get strong and the fire gets strong 
and we grow in the grace that God gives and we are transformed. Jesus wants to change us to what he can make us to be. First Thessalonians 5, 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is set faithful. He will surely do it. Friends, we gotta join and we gotta celebrate. Join in gathering for worship. Celebrate what happens. Join in groups. Join in that life. Celebrate life change that's happening. Every day, look to God, changing our lives, getting the ashes out, putting the wood in, keeping the fire going, celebrating every transformation. And then finally, we focus with God's purpose by giving to and participating in the work of Jesus. So he gets, he gets goofball out, gets Tobiah out. Gets this flesh out, gets the sinner out, gets the sin out. Then look at verse, verse 10. So he puts in the wood. He puts in the, what it will ignite. I also found out that the portion of the Levites had not been given to them. So that the Levites and singers who did the work had fled each to his field. So I confronted the officials and said, why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their stations. Then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain, wine, oil into the storehouses. And then I appointed his treasures. Then he gets everything organized the way it was before, the way it was supposed to be. Having removed the sin, he creates that space in the heart of the temple where the work of God is allowed to gather and to do what the word of God can only do. And there was transformation. The people started tithing. The people started joining in what, what God was doing. Friends, what, what we give our time and our money to will determine the condition of our heart. This is a very, Jesus teaches this. And this is so very important because I know there's some people who are like, well, I, my heart just didn't end this. I just don't have a heart for this. You know, I've just grown cold. Here's why. You've given your heart to something else. Say, well, how do I know what I've given my heart to? Here's an analysis. Where's your time? Where's your money going? Those are two easy, easy ones to to check out. Here's what Jesus said. This is Matthew chapter six, beginning in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Why? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Friends, what you give your time and your money to, that's where your heart's gonna go. What you give your heart, so it works both ways. What you give your heart to, that's where your time and your money's gonna go. So it's, it's a great analytic tool. Where's your time and money going? See, a tithe is the first 10%. This morning, on the first day of the week, you're where you're supposed to be. You're supposed to give the first part of your week to God today. It's the Lord's day. And you're to give your money on this day to tithe. Now, remember who was prophesying while Nehemiah was away? What was his name I told you before? You weren't listening. We're gonna start the sermon all over again, I would recommend. Malachi. Malachi was prophesying while Nehemiah was away. Here's Malachi chapter three, verse eight. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. 
But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And thereby, look at this. There's not many places where you'll see this. And thereby, put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. That's a double dog dare for those of you who are wondering. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. God challenges us. He says, put, put me to the test. See if I won't take care of you. See, here's, here's why many of you do not give your time and your money is because you don't trust God. Here's Psalm 37, verse 25. I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. God takes care of his people. But I want you to understand, God only blesses you in as much as you trust him. God only blesses you in as much as you trust him. Now here's the extent of some of your trust in Jesus. What you've done is you put Jesus behind a piece of glass and on that glass it says break in case of emergency. And so your plan is, hey, when I die, that's gonna be an emergency. I'm gonna break that glass. I'm gonna reach in and say, God, here's my get out of, get out of hell free card. For some of you, you've got it on that. You've got Jesus behind that glass. Okay, if I get sick, if I get COVID, I'll go get Jesus. If I lose my job, if I start having marital problems, if, if I have problems with my kids, if, if, if I've got troubled parents, if I got problems at school, I'll break the glass and pull my Jesus out just in case, because that's how much you trust him. What would it look like for you to live every single day with Christ at the center of your life with a burning flame of passion for him? See, that's what God wants. He wants us to say, Lord, I trust you with it all. I trust you. I'm going to count on you. And, and I'm going to seek what Nehemiah was seeking. Now look what Nehemiah was seeking. Go to verse 14. And before I read this, I want you to ask a very simple question. Can you honestly pray this prayer? Nehemiah could. Nehemiah could pray this prayer without blinking an eye. Can you? It's very important. Nehemiah said, remember me, O my God, concerning this, and do not, wipe, do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for his service. You know what he's doing? He's looking for heaven's reward. He's saying, God, I want a reward in heaven for this. I'm being faithful and I'm looking, not for an earth, I'm looking for the eternal reward. Do you want God's ultimate reward? Remember Matthew 5, verse 11 through 12. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. That's an important word there, falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
See, some of you want the earthly reward. You want the earthly reward that comes with laughing at the dirty jokes, watching the crud, being able to talk about it, not sharing your faith testimony in Jesus Christ, not talking about how the the word of God is feeding your soul, not sharing how God has blessed your life and how you're seeking him with all you are. Many won't do it because of what it'll cost you. You'll be persecuted if you do. You'll be told to be quiet and be told you're on the wrong side of history and you'll join in the cancel culture. You will be canceled. And Jesus said, right on. That's my girl. That's my guy. Let him come because you're just like the prophets and there will be a reward. Hebrews eleven six. and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Friends, are you seeking him? I know some of you are Christians, but are you seeking the Lord? Are you on fire for God? Or have you allowed Tobiah to come in and create ash where there's supposed to be wood? Have you allowed sin to so contaminate your soul you don't care anymore about the things of God? Now, if you're living that way, understand there's going to be a judgment. God doesn't expect us to give what we don't have. But we are fully accountable for what we do have. Our time and our money, we will be held accountable for it. Now, some of you are Christians and and you are going to be saved and you're going to go to heaven and you're not going to receive a single reward. Others of you are being wise. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13, Each one's work will become manifest. When? For the day we will disclose it. The day of judgment. Notice the capitalization of the word day. Because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. So here's the thing. You're giving your money and you're giving your time to something. There's going to be a judgment of fire. This whole planet, according to the book of Revelation, is going to fry. There is not going to be anything left that was of creation. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only through fire. Some of you are giving your time and money to things that are not going to make it into heaven. You're not making eternal investments with your words, with your time, with your gifts, with your money, with your prayer. What are you praying for? What does your heart break for? The glory of God or the comfort of your flesh? Who's running things in there? Tobiah or the Spirit of God? Remember, look at verse 16. I'm sorry, guys, put up uh, 1 Corinthians 3 back up. Look at verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If you're allowing Tobiah in the chamber, the large chamber of your life, which is your heart, then you are grieving the Holy Spirit. And there's no blessing in that. You choose who's in that chamber. And it may be today you need Jesus to come and kick some things out. 
kick some idols out. Kick some words and some thoughts and some, and some whew, stuff out. Some of you can't do that because you're not saved. And you need to understand something. Without Christ in your life, you're on your own. The flesh, Tobiah, is in your heart. And that flesh is going to rob you of eternal life. And you're going to stand before God and he's going to say, I I don't know you. And you will be removed from heaven. Friends, you need to be saved. And those of you who are saved, you need Christ to rule your heart instead of the flesh. Let's stand together. Uh, Care leaders, if you would come forward and let's pray. God, I can't help but know that there are some who are here right now. Maybe they've been in church a lot. Maybe they've only been in church. Maybe this is the first time, but Lord, here's the deal. You know the condition of their soul. And, and, and I pray right now, God, you would reveal to them the condition of their soul and that you would make those who are without you, Christ, very aware of the seriousness of their sin and the consequences of what happens if they will not trust in Christ alone for salvation. And I pray that they'll come and talk with one of these leaders about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be forgiven of sin, what it means to be a citizen of heaven. God, I pray for your children, for those who've been saved by grace, whose hearts have been bought, who are now the temple of God, but are allowing Tobiah to get in there and control them. Holy Spirit, would you right now graciously, kindly, mercifully, would you please convict us? Would you please show us the sin we're allowing to exist in our heart? And Jesus, would you please come in and kick it out? And would you take over? And would you give us a heart for the things that that you have a heart for so that we will give our calendar and our budgets that full attention that you call us to and make us faithful and blessable? Father God, I pray for the help that is needed to do that. Some need help with their faith. Some need forgiveness to be renewed. Some some need, God, for you to show up in a powerful way. And Lord, I pray that, that many will come to this altar at the end of the service and get on their knees and ask for you to intervene. Maybe even ask for help from one of these care leaders to pray with them. I'm so glad you want for us this blessing, Lord. You want us to focus with purpose and to accomplish your will with our one and only life and enjoy the reward that comes. Lord, please bless us to be a people who seek that reward and experience that hope. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.